<laughs> okay, here we go. Welcome to another edition of the AA Show on the Barroom Network. My name is Ken Fang, along with Stephen Nagishi. Um, if you were with us a couple of weeks ago, you may remember that I wasn't here for the beginning of the show. Uh, that was due to a, a shooting that affected me personally. Uh, Stephen, uh, it's great to see you. Thank you for, for handling things solo a couple of weeks ago. And we're, we're happy to be back together once again. And unfortunately, under... Some sad circumstances. Once again, we've had uh, multiple shootings, and uh, uh, of course, the one in Novaldi has affected us the most. Nineteen children, two teachers have been shot. Um, five people, five children still injured, and of course, uh, continuing on, there have been eleven mass shootings this Memorial Day weekend and counting. And um, Stephen, you, as I as I mentioned to you uh, at the end of last show, as I joined you at the end of last last uh, our last show. You really don't know how a shooting will affect you until it happens. And uh, let me just say that uh, I, our hearts go out to everyone affected by the shootings over the last couple of weeks in Buffalo, in Laguna Woods, in Uvalde, and anywhere that there's been a mass shooting. There was also one in Tennessee uh, over the last couple of days. It's just it, it's just mind-boggling that these things are still happening in a, in a country uh, of ours and well, other other countries seem to have been able to get uh, take care of mass shootings like Australia, and New Zealand, the United States is still, uh, you know, still not able to uh, to do something about uh, uh, really what is a, an, an epidemic in this country. Yes, indeed, uh, Ken. Um, I'm 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 really at a loss uh, these days now and. Um, we we didn't even mention about the the shooting at a uh, you know hair salon in uh, Dallas that I mentioned uh, a couple of weeks ago, which involved uh, uh, you know a Korean hair a hair salon. Which yes. uh, Dallas Police Department in, initially said this is not a hate crime, but then eventually they had to do a 180 a few days later. And um, I'm kind of uh, you know under the assumption that any uh, shooting of this magnitude involving our community will automatically uh, assume uh, it's it's a you know a hate crime targeted or uh, targeted our community, especially mm -hmm. in, in days like this. And uh, uh, you know, having lived in Texas, it's um, you know it's 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 a pretty uh, kind of I, I don't want to say wild wild west, no pun intended, because obviously, you know. Texas used to be in that way a long, long time ago. But uh, it, it's it's a scary situation. Um, you know, you've dealt it yourself. Um, obviously, what happened to your family members, and uh, you know, um, obviously you you dealt with it, and you, you you know you obviously have a words that you can share with us about the feelings and the um, you know the emotions that go through you goes through you inside when 
your family members happened, you know, when they happened to become a, a, you know, a victim. Thankfully, obviously your family members are okay, but uh, you know, I can feel it even knowing what happened to you and doing the show last, last time that, that um, it, you know, it obviously made me emotional uh, yes. thinking about it. And uh, you know, there has to be a way, there has to be a solution now so that, uh, you know, people can live what they're supposed to do and what they're, what, what they're entitled to do, you know, live yes. the way they want to live. Yes. I mean, you should feel safe going to the grocery store. You should feel safe going to church. You should feel safe going to the hair salon. You should feel safe going out and about doing your, your everyday life. You shouldn't have to live in fear of someone coming in and shooting up a supermarket, shooting up a church, shooting up a hair salon, shooting up a bar, shooting up any place that a mall. You know, it, 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 I, I, my other job is working in retail. That's not here, but um, it, that's one of my biggest fears is that a disgruntled customer is going to come into the store where I work and start shooting it up. Um, yeah. I, I, I fear that every day and I shouldn't have to do that because um, we, we, we should be able to carry on with our lives and not have to live in fear, but uh, it's mm -hmm. getting to that point, Stephen. And it's just, it's just, it makes me very, very sad that, and a very, I, 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 I I saw your your how you got emotional two weeks ago in regards to my family. Um, I I get emotional every day thinking about the 19 children who aren't coming home, uh, or the 10 people who aren't going home in Buffalo. The 19 children, I mean, in Nivaldi. So I, I weep for them. Um, I'm I'm lucky that my family got to go home, but uh, all the people who have been victims of shootings, whether it be this year. Last year, two years ago, five years ago, ten years ago, they're still in pain, and um, that 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 feeling never goes away. Absolutely, and um, you know, I hope that uh, you know the the people who watch our show on a regular basis. I hope uh, you know you can offer prayers and thoughts to uh, Ken and his family, as well as you know, the, any other victims uh, of the uh, mass shooting, as uh, uh, Ken mentioned, whether it's yesterday, the week ago, a year ago, or even 10 years ago, you know, any mm -hmm. shooting is a tragic one. And, uh, you know, uh, it's about time we have an honest conversation and then we must forge and forward and think about, you know, the people and the children, you know, who have to live in fear, uh, unfortunately. And, you know, Nomad says something about, you know, children, if, children boycott school this year you know maybe the children should probably you know obviously they're the future and you know obviously you know they are the ones who are going to be leading this country uh going forward and these tra traumatic experiences obviously are going to shape them uh you know fair or unfair and mm -hmm. uh hopefully that uh, children are going to help us uh uh, make amends and uh, rectify the uh, the problems that uh, you know the adults, you know maybe myself included, that uh, has uh, done wrong in this country. Absolutely, and uh, you know let's 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 hope things. Um, I hope Stephen, maybe next year at this time when we're doing the show, we can be talking about a much safer safer situation, and we can actually stick to sports. So. Well, I mean, we don't have to stick to sports if this no, is of something. Not. But, uh, which, uh, hopefully we'll be having some happier things to discuss. We, of course, we're always going to call out stuff. And the reason why we have this show is to call out 
hatred against the Asian community and uh, the AAPI community. And that's why we have this show. And we're still going to continue to call it out. And we, we're going to call out some behavior that we saw uh, earlier this week in the last couple of weeks. And, and no matter, sure. absolutely, children can change things. And, uh, you know, mm-hmm. it, they, they are the future of this country. And hopefully they this gener- the next generation can do something that that the present generations have have messed up. Um, and uh, let, let's hope so, Steve. Yes, absolutely. So uh, let's talk about some other things, of course, that has happened over the last couple of weeks since we last had our show. Um, a couple of days ago, uh, over at the Champions League final in Paris, one of the more and really <laughs> baffling moments, and, and I was ready to watch and enjoy this, Stephen. I'm sure you were as well. Between the Champions League final between Liverpool and uh, Real Madrid. And we were hoping just to see them start at 3 o'clock Eastern time as normal, 2 o'clock Central time here, of course, uh, in Chicago. And then we get word, we started getting word on social media that things were being delayed and UEFA blamed it on late arriving fans in the um, at the Stade de France in Paris. Instead, we let it learn, and we learned in real time as it was happening, that 20,000 Liverpool fans were basically heralded into or herded into one area to try to get into one gate. Meanwhile, uh, Real Madrid fans had already been in the stadium for a couple of hours. They had gone through maybe four or five gates. But in the meantime, Liverpool fans were herded to try to get into one gate and mm-hmm. this is just ridiculous. And uh, they were pepper sprayed. Now, yes. we all know that English soccer fans haven't had the greatest reputation. But no. Liverpool fans, going back to Hillsborough, have had a lot of pain. And right. they were hoping for an unprecedented triple uh, championship, the the Carabao Cup, the, uh, the FA Cup, and hoping to get the Champions League. Uh, this year, but uh, it was not to be as they lost to Real Madrid one nothing one nil. But that was nearly uh, paled in comparison to what we saw uh, outside the Stade de France in Paris, Stephen. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Rob Harris, uh, AP uh, correspondent, actually shared this uh, a video of him interviewing one of the uh, uh, Liverpool supporters uh, as to what was happening out there. What's the, uh, what's the experience like? Oh, absolutely horrendous. It's like it's a bottleneck down there. There's literally six foot gap for maybe 20,000 Liverpool fans to get in. Absolutely sure. We're absolutely yes, being pushed and pillaged. I've got an 82 year, 82 year old father in law here. Come here, let's just go back. It's just, it's just mad. Yeah. Well, I'm really sorry, but there's, 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 there's thousands behind us. I've been to Milan. Yeah, and um, fans who were just standing at the gate, including a six-year-old girl, were mm-hmm. pepper sprayed for no reason whatsoever, just for standing there. And, mm-hmm. par- and it's not like UEFA had a week to move. And originally, if you're not familiar, the Champions League final was supposed to be played in Moscow. But due to what happened in the the Russian uh, invasion of of Ukraine, they moved it to Paris. But they, this was done two two months ago. So the Stade de France had a couple easily a couple of months to prepare for this, and mm-hmm. then all of a sudden 
the organization by UEFA and was just horrendous. And, and Stephen, um, you know, like I said, English soccer fans haven't had the greatest reputation over the years, but Liverpool fans are basically very, uh, very peaceful. They're very, very aware of what's going on. They know of the reputation. Like I mentioned, Hillsborough is, is something that happened in the 1980s. And if you're not aware of Hillsborough, I suggest you Google it and also watch the videos. It's very painful to watch. Um, this is why they always sing. You'll never walk alone uh, before every game. Um, it's just really, really pain. It was just really shameful by UEFA. And I'm just really surprised that they, like I said, it's not like they, that they moved the UEFA Champions League final last week. They moved it two weeks, two months ago, and they were, mm -hmm. they should have been prepared for this. Absolutely. And I will also add about, you know, Liverpool and the tragedy, Hazel Stadium disaster, which mm -hmm. was a, a 1985 Champions League a final between Liverpool and Italy's uh, Juventus, which also claimed the lives of uh, almost 40 people. So Liverpool, unfortunately, is not a, a stranger when it comes to, you know, a fan disaster. And you mentioned there was only one lane uh, being allowed and several lanes, uh, gates being closed up, which obviously makes no sense uh, for, you know, uh, UEFA or the France authorities to, you know, do something like this. And I was actually baffled why the game wasn't starting at an original time, uh, you know, locally watching in a, at a bar uh, on CBS here in America. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it was just a bad look. I know the French authorities are blaming, you know, English fans, 40,000 of them who showed up with no ticket or even a fake ticket trying to get in and stuff like that. But like you said, Ken, you know, they had two months to prepare for this, and this is not the first time they're hosting a major event of this magnitude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and let's not forget, in two years, they're hosting the Olympics. The Summer Olympics is is in Paris. Okay, that stadium that we saw will likely to be the uh, opening ceremony and then the closing ceremony, as well as uh, other, you know, um, you know, venue. The, the venue will be used for the other athletic competitions. So, you know, we all know it's easy to, you know shit on French people and the French culture for, you know, various reasons. And, um, you know, this is not a, certainly a good look on them. No, 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 it's not. And then, uh, you know, well, I just hope that, uh, you know, rather than blaming it on, you know, English soccer culture, hooliganism or whatever they want to blame it on, I, I hope that the thorough investigation is done. And, and you know, UEFA is on the same level in terms of, incompetency and corruption with the uh, IOC, International Olympic Committee, that we have gone after on this show many, many times. Mm -hmm. So it's it's it's, a, it's an embarrassment, to yep. be honest. And there's a very good video if you want to go to YouTube. Sky Sports did an investigation. It's a 12-minute long video of the chronicling of what happened outside the Stade de France. Very good reporting by Sky Sports. Um and about the whole situation outside and how fans were treated and video, not only just fan video, but their own video of what was going on outside the Stade de France. So uh, I I highly suggest you watch it. Uh, be patient. It's I know it's 12 minutes. I know our, our pension spans are short, but I really do suggest you watch it. And you'll see, uh, even if you think that, uh, and I know a lot of people, when I was tweeting this in real time, someone said to me, I said, um, I really don't understand why 
French authorities are tear gassing uh, innocent fans. And you see there, there's one young girl who is just, yeah, she, she is, I don't think you would call her a, a, a hooligan at all, Stephen. Um, and you see her uh, probably a, a relative, maybe that's her grandfather or her father. Or she's, this is just ridiculous. Um, like I mentioned, uh, English soccer fans don't have the greatest reputation, but Liverpool fans are not that type of fans, and they wouldn't do, try, dare try to do things like this. And um, I, I, I'm just very, very um, angry uh, for the Liverpool fans uh, who weren't able to get into the game. And some of them didn't get until halftime. Some of them just stayed outside, just having to watch the game on their phones uh, and not mm-hmm. being able to to see. And you can see the sky, one of the Sky uh, Sports reporters. Uh, doing going outside. It's just it's just really mind boggling what happened. Absolutely, it is mind boggling. And um, you know, obviously, tear gases and stuff like that aren't normally used here in America unless you're protesting. You know, uh, but uh, you know, it's it's unfortunately a common theme in Europe with you know, sport uh, soccer being a uh, a major sport, obviously, and uh, you know, with the relegation and promotions involved, you know, there's a you know amped up. Uh, rage by the fans, and uh, it's always been well documented. Yes, um, um, you know it's also a, a you know a class war where you know labor laborers were able to watch the game uh, at a you know more affordable affordably and was more easier to access than nowadays. Which unfortunately, the game has gotten you know the tickets you know here even here in the United States has gotten so out of control and so out of expenses. Mm-hmm. That it's it's easy to do, you know. It's no longer, uh, you know, uh, something that uh, any you know average people can go easily. Um, you know, if things here are bad in the United States, obviously things are even more chaotic in UK and other you know soccer nations. So you know, I understand the frustration, but uh, this is not a good look on the you know UEFA and uh, you know Paris uh, authorities for that matter. And I'll quickly mention before we can move on to the next topic and also talk about our guests who we have, which I was uh, which I was remiss in mentioning at the top of the show. Um, also, uh, the Saint-Antienne was relegated out of uh, League One uh, in France. And there was a, and the French and the French Saint-Antienne fr- uh, fans uh, rioted there as well. So there was tear gas had to be used on the uh, Saint-Antienne fr- uh, fans as they were relegated pretty much uh, one of the top flight teams in League One. Uh, or Ligue 1, as, mm-hmm. as they say in, in uh, Paris. But uh, really, um, it just goes to show that uh, English soccer fans are not immune. Fre- uh, it's not just English soccer fans, but also French sure. soccer fans who get a little bit unruly as well. Uh, we have another topic to discuss. Uh, let's first also discuss, before we move on to that, Stephen, we have two guests tonight. We should have mentioned them at the top of the show. Who do we have on the show tonight? Well, uh, we're... Uh having both of them speak simultaneously for the, I think this is the first time we've ever done on our show. Uh, USA basketball coach, Marshall Cho and uh, actor and the producer, uh, Brian Yang talking about the insanity in which Brian was heavily involved in the production. And uh, we're also talking about the impact of insanity that it had on the NBA as well as on our uh, community. And also we will talk a lot about their careers and the uh, NBA finals, which is set uh, for June 2nd, you know, the Celtics and the Warriors. Yes. 
We'll talk to them coming up shortly. But let's go to our next topic, which is what uh, we've talked to about this person quite a bit uh, in regards to her performance. Naomi Osaka lost in the first round of the French Open. Um, she's having she's had she's talked about mental health issues, uh, of course, in regards to uh, her own career. She's had issues with the media. Um, French Open was going to allow her to skip media sessions uh, this this season, but of course she lost in the very for very first match uh, at the French Open last week. Um, and then uh, you can go in over this a little bit more because you know a little bit more about this than I do. But apparently Martina Navratilova had some words about Naomi Osaka. Okay, so the Wimbledon has decided to drop points uh, as of some as a retaliation for. Uh, Russian and uh, what is the other uh, country that I'm talking about? Uh, I forgot the yeah, I forgot the other nation. Maybe can uh, can help me out. Uh, okay, I'll find it. Um, obviously, Russian uh, athletes or tennis players as a uh, retaliation for Russians' invasion to Ukraine, and um, so rather than giving points, they've decided to drop the points for this tournament, this upcoming tournament. Um, obviously, tennis is based on the uh, the points ranking system. The more you win, obviously, the more you advance to the tournament, the more points you accumulate. And obviously, the higher the points, the higher the rank world rankings. Well, Naomi Osaka said that she doesn't know if she wants to play in the Wimbledon after the points sanction. And she said it's kind of like a uh, going to an exhibition. Well, uh, Martina Navratilova, the tennis legend, and uh, you know, obviously, a someone who has won more than her share of Wimbledon back in the '80s, was not a fan of what she says, and uh, she she went to Pierce Morgan, who's a, another controversial talk show host, uh, you know, over there in UK. He used to have a show on CNN in the early 2010s. If you may have uh, heard of his name before. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could Google the interview. Navato Loba says that she doesn't understand her mentality. So there were a lot of people who came to Naomi's defense that uh, winning two million pounds isn't isn't everything cut out to be for her, and it's not it's not always about the money. It's not about tarnishing your legacy, and then you know, for Navato Loba to go after her, and obviously. Many thought that uh, she was coming after her because of the, uh, you know, Naomi being a, a woman of color. And it's always, you know, with Naomi, we've spoken about her mental, you know, issues and, you know, being open about it. And it's 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 always easy to target her and, you know, you know, her to be taken shot at. And and a lot of people this time she came, you know, Navatilova herself, uh, you know, had to, you know, take a lot of uh, criticism online, which I'm sure... Navatilova doesn't really give a you know what, but <laughs> it's it's interesting that uh, you know every time Naomi says something that she's always a target of uh, criticism or an attack. Uh, and then there was also Carolina Pliskova, who was, I believe, a finalist back in 2012. Yes. Uh, also took shots at Naomi Osaka, and this is what she had to tweet: "Some people talk about me so much. I'm convinced they're getting paid." No way I'm on your mind that much. Yikes. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's nice to see Naomi has a, you know, a, it, it has a can dish out a, a comeback of this nature. 
as you know, because obviously she's dealt so much and, uh, you know, it's easy to take shot at her these days, you know, she left her, um, um, you know, company that was, uh, representing her, I believe IMG international management group and, uh, recently started her own, uh, representation company. So it's, you know, it's easy for Naomi now to control her own narrative. It's, it's easy. And, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, what uh, Wimbledon does. To me, Wimbledon, you know, did it themselves. They're the ones who came up and said, you know what, we're going to, um, you know, not rank any points, you know, uh, for anybody as a uh, retaliation to Russian athletes in particular. But even the, you know, legends like John Macaron and among others, they're criticizing the uh, the move made by all Wimbledon club. Uh, which uh, manages the, um, you know, the Wimbledon tournament. Uh, You know, it kind of backfired. So, you know, what Naomi's saying is not really, really wrong. The irony in all of this is that on the man's side, Novak Djokovic, who has obviously been a controversial figure on his own, if he ended up losing, and and I believe Dmitry Medvedev, who's a Russian tennis player and top three in the world, if he ends up winning the Wimbledon, he's going to be the number one guy which is a somewhat of an ironic because, you know, it was supposed to hurt people like Medvedev, but if he ends up winning, he's, he becomes the number one. Right. So what's the point of, you know, not even, you know, allowing points when you're supposed to hurt the Russian athletes, but instead it might end up benefiting them. And yeah. Naomi is the one who has to take a blunt of all of this because it's easy to target her. Yeah, she's she's the one who spoke out against it, and then everybody comes after her. Um, the other country, by the way, that you mentioned is Belarus, which has been helping. Oh, Russia. thank you, Belarus. So um, Belarus. we checked that out. So that's Belarus. So um, it's it'll be interesting to see how um, Naomi um, how how it continues to affect her and how she continue. But she handled it quite well, and she mm-hmm. just says that she has a she just does a. It's okay. Don't worry about it. So right, uh, right, right. she'll be fine. I think she, she's she's doing quite well, and um, we'll we'll continue to root for her on the double A mm-hmm. team. And well, um, I'll be interested to see. Sorry, uh, yeah, whether yeah. Wimbledon decides, caves in and decides to you know bring back the point system like they normally do, mm-hmm. and whether if that will sway other people, you know, to uh, you know join the uh, Wimbledon, which will take place in uh, you know next month. So, all right. So. That'll be uh, we'll be looking for that as the summer continues. By the way, uh, we want to mention on this Memorial Day, thank you very much to all the men and women who have served the United States, helped us uh, become the country that we are. Of course, we have our promises, as we as Steve and I men- uh, talked about at the beginning of the show. But of course, we thank all the men and women who have done the ultimate sacrifice and helped the United States uh, over the years and continue to serve. Uh, the military. So we thank you very much. And of course, in this uh, unofficial uh, start of the summer, uh, of course, uh, where I am, it's very hot and very humid. So it's very nice to see that uh, the, the the weather is turning. Don't know where if it's too hot and humid where you are, Stephen, but uh, mm-hmm. certainly hope that uh, we're all staying cool on this uh, on this Memorial Day. Coming up, coming up next, we'll have a segment uh, with uh, Marshall Cho and Brian Yang. We'll talk about Linsanity and the NBA. All that coming up next on the AA team on the Barroom Network. We have never been a loud people. 
Our elders always taught us that actions speak louder than words, so we learn to keep our heads down, keep our grades up, keep our kin close, keep our mouths shut. I wonder what it does to a people when they stay quiet for so long, do they forget their voice? The sound of their stories, the resilience of language? When you are no longer in your motherland, does your mother tongue still sing of home? What work songs lifted our spirits as we built the railroad? What prayers did we whisper as they sent us to camps in the mountains to meditate on all the ways we don't belong to this country? So we stayed quiet. As they burned our Chinatowns down and spit on our grandmas at bus stops, we stayed quiet. As they laughed in our faces and told us to go back where we came from, but they've mistaken our silence for compliance. Looked on our meekness as weakness. See, we... And not the submissive stereotype that's been depicted on silence, on us, they've gotten it twisted. See, silence is golden, as are we. A gradient of yellow to brown, every Korea town a little Saigon, an act of defiance. Every hunchbacked elder a humble giant. Silence is grace in the triumph, is peace in the riot. Silence is bold, a force. It is the brewing calm before the coming storm and now the sky is splitting open and the rage is pouring forth so this is for every kid who has ever tried to pull their nose bridge to make it taller. Every time they mocked us because our eyes are smaller. This is for our elders both alive and remembered. For their lessons, the tough and the tender. For our full names past and present. May they be pronounced. May they be respected. For every chink in the national fabric. Every nip in the winter wind of prairie towns and northern hamlets coast to coast on stolen land. We are here. We've been here. From takeout joints and internment camps to internships and graduation caps, we are strong. We have pride. We fight. We fall. We rise. And to the ones who say we don't belong, it's them who should open their eyes. Welcome back to the Barroom Network's Double A Team. Ken Fang, along with Stephen Nagishi. We uh, let's talk about. Uh, let's introduce our guests. All righty, uh, I've been working uh, to bring these uh, two gentlemen together. Um, I think it was a fitting to bring both of them uh, at as we close out the uh, AAPI Heritage Month, which ends officially tomorrow uh, on the show. Uh, we're excited to have uh, USA basketball coach. Marshall Cho, and actor and producer Brian Yang on our show. Brian, how you doing? Hey, guys. I'm doing great. Can you hear Waiting me? Waiting okay? for Marshall to join us. Uh, uh, okay. Hi, Marshall. How are you? Hi, guys. How's it going? Uh, listen, I appreciate both of you for coming on a Memorial Day. Um, obviously, you guys have been pretty busy as well. So uh, let's start with uh, your introduction. Marshall, uh can you introduce about yourself? When did you kind of start getting involved in the uh, coaching, uh, basketball, et cetera? Yeah, um, thanks for having me today. I'm looking forward to this conversation and just getting together with my old friend on here, uh, Brian Yang. Um, <laughs> actually, I started coaching in New York City uh, right around the time I was wrapping up playing in this uh, all-Asian league that Brian was hoping to run in New York called Dream League. Um so that was around 2014-15. I was a charter school, middle school charter school. My teacher um, was coaching the charter school that I was at in Central Harlem um, and just kind of got the bug. 
Um, shortly after that, met, you know, met my wife who was doing a fellowship in Mozambique, Africa, followed her out there as a trailing spouse and coached out in Mozambique for three years. And um, after that, came back, coached at a powerhouse program called the Math of Catholic. That leads to another opportunity with University of Portland for a couple of years. Um, circumstances happened where I wanted to kind of prioritize my family. So I left the Division One coaching world and been a high school basketball coach at Lake Oswego High School here in the suburbs of Portland, Oregon for the last seven years. Mm-hmm. So, you know. Nice. And I'm Brian, calling- uh, can you introduce to you? Oh, sorry about that. Oh, I, my apologies there. Brian, yeah. I'm actually in Columbus, Ohio. I'm in the suburb of Columbus, Ohio. I didn't realize you were from Columbus area yourself. Go Bucks. <laughs> Did you go to OSU? No, no, I can't claim the OSU as my actual school, um, but my dad can. So oh. when my dad immigrated uh, from Taiwan to the United States in the late 60s, he went to OSU. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, my entire extended family immigrated to the Midwest. So I have two uncles and another aunt that went to OSU. So I am very much, I mer- very much was born into a Buckeye family. But then my father, immig- uh, sorry, migrated out to the West Coast uh, when I was about five years old. So I was born in Columbus, raised in California, uh, but I was brainwashed and bred to be a Buckeye. So even though I went to UC <laughs> Berkeley later in life, I, I just always was a scarlet and gray guy. And, you know, I tried to root for Cal when I was there. We had some good basketball years around Jason Kidd and stuff. I just aged ah, myself. Yes. But uh Cal's sports, I'm sorry to say, just couldn't hold a candle to, you know, the, the football and basketball programs in particular are always in the thick of it, you know, in terms of making March Madness, being in the national championship discussion for football, especially. And so, uh, yeah, so even I, I've, I've been to a couple of Cal OSU matchups and I'm, I'm always rooting for the Buckeyes and my Cal friends are like, what, what's wrong with you, man? <laughs> like, so, <laughs> yeah, so yeah. Uh, Huge Buckeye fan through and through. When did you be, uh, started acting? At Cal. So I was, uh, like I mentioned, I grew up in the, the Bay Area. I, I, I stayed there for college. Uh, and when I was in college, second year of sophomore year, I kind of fell into a, uh, an acting class for fun, dramatic arts, to kind of offset my very poor grades in, in, in life sciences. I was a bio major. I just I thought I was going to become a physical therapist, you know, early in my 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 studies, kind of doing the safe, like, uh, you know, Asian thing, if you will. I I didn't want to go to med school and spend 12 years of my life, uh, you know, getting that chasing that. So I I found PT and I thought, oh, maybe I can work with athletes, open up my own clinic, maybe go work for a team. Who knows? That was kind of my idea at the time. But I just sucked at chemistry, physics and biology. And I I wound up. uh, I, I, it's kind of a long story how I got involved, but I took a class for fun and I got bit by the bug and I just wound up taking a class every semester for the rest of my you know, time in college. And it just kept, it kind of like escalated into a thing where even after I graduated, I was like, I kind of want to go into this field and I, I, I don't know about this PT thing. So, uh, so yeah, so that's, that's how I, how I, that's when I started, I guess, officially, if you will. Marshall, you're you're as you mentioned, you're a you're a high school coach. So, uh, yeah. how's your team doing this so far? Uh, we're we're doing okay. This time of the year, um, it's across the country. The month of June is where the high school programs kind of get their kids back from their you know a lot of the kids who are playing AAU and 
club basketball. So I'm um, just gearing up, you know, um, depends really on each program, how much work they decide to put into it. Um, some of it, and, you know, I guess I would attribute to my immigrant, you know, work ethic type of thing where I, I feel like I basically live in the gym, you know, but um, similar to Brian, you know, I kind of, I was a, while Brian was a failing bio major at Cal, I was a failing accounting major at Oregon, you know, so okay. hearing this story, even though I know it, you know, just from our years of friendship, um, I think ultimately it's just, you know, be, being content with just spending time doing what you're passionate about. So, you know, my, my days consist of ordering, you know, practice jerseys to signing guys up for summer tournaments to, you know, open gyms. And, you know, I got this time of the year, I got a lot of alumni back in town. So it's, you know, connecting those guys with the current players and future players and, and that type of thing. So, um, yeah, it's, it's busy, but it's, uh, it's fulfilling for sure. The math well, is, uh, oh, sorry, but go, sorry, go ahead, Ken. Yeah. So how did you and Brian get together? Well, yeah, Brian could tell the story. He was the commissioner of this uh, Asian league. And, and the, the thing that he also didn't kind of um, humble brag about himself is he was quite the journalist uh, documenting our exploits as, you know, uh, predominantly Asian American, you know, working professionals, you know, our peers were, you know, the ones who didn't flunk out of finance school or med school, there were guys who were, you know, uh, doctors and lawyers and bankers and and more along that field, but uh, Brian Brian can talk more about it. But it was a league that we played in, and we would have you know he kept stats and wrote articles and stuff, and so that's how we got acquainted with each other. So Brian, yeah. we'll let you go, we'll let you go ahead and uh, continue the story. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know I I grew up uh, for the third time. I, I grew up in the Bay Area in California. We have a very robust um, uh, ne- sort of uh, sin- circuit in Asian American basketball uh, circuit that was rooted from the the J leagues the Japanese American leagues that started out of the internment camps um, and and they carried on and, and all the other ethnic enclaves uh, Chinese Filipino Korean Indo-Pak um, communities over the years also kind of gave birth to their own leagues and tournaments and so Dream League the league that Marshall was referring to where I where actually I came to know Marshall before the Dream League but we met through basketball and Dream League was obviously very uh, you know, special period of our time in, in which we bonded even more. Um, we, it was I became the the commissioner of the New York League, the New York chapter, if you will. It was something that my college roommate, who I grew up playing Asian basketball with, started in San Francisco, and I saw a need in in on the East Coast. You know, where I was living, thinking maybe we could do this as a sort of a weekend uh, warrior, you know, activity. Uh, and it, it grew actually very quickly into four four nights or, you know, weekend afternoons a week. And it became almost like a side something I asked for because I was, I actually was holding down a nine to five job at the time. Mm-hmm. And, um, but it, it, it quickly grew because as, as Marshall said, we were, we, we offered something that was a little more unique than the average rec league. We, we kept statistics. We, we wrote very detailed articles. We almost treated, you know, the dream and dream league sort of refers to like, you're living the dream, you, you weekend warrior. You know, and we're, 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 we're putting your names in lights. We're literally like keeping tabs, not just of made field goals, but turnovers, assists, season cumulative totals, your career totals, if you will. And uh, all-star games, uh, you know, occasional videos. That was a little early on in the digital age, and we didn't really have a robust dig- uh, video team, but we took photos and had a lot of fun with it. And people just 
when they heard about it, they all wanted to come in and play. I had people from not even, you know, in our city asking, can you start one in, in Detroit? Like my friend told me about your league. It, it, it sounds amazing. So we had a lot of fun with it, but um, something I would be remiss to point out if, if I didn't say um, is the fact that Marshall Cho here, you're talking to one of the hall of fame players from the dream league, really any league that he has run in over the years. Uh, this guy has set the scoring record on numerous occasions, like for single game season average, this guy could shoot lights out. I mean, there's a reason he's a basketball coach, but as a, as a player, this guy was no joke himself. And so, you know, I we're, we're among greatness here. You know, I must point out. So, um, but Asian American basketball, you know, it, it's something that's still very prominent in my life. Um, I, I have kids now that I'm thinking about, you know, introducing them into. I actually just got done with playing in something called the Tigers tournament this week. It's a Memorial Day weekend tournament that's been going on. The Los Angeles Tigers, which are one of the Japanese American club teams, has been throwing this tournament for decades and I'm part of the master's division now, which basically means people, you know, over a certain age. Uh, and and we, we, we won the championship this weekend, which. Uh, congratulations. congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. I hadn't had that feeling in a few years because I hadn't really been hooping. I don't know about you, Marshall, but because of the pandemic and everything, like all the rec leagues and pickup has kind of dried up. But I'm starting to get back into it a little bit, even at this old age. So. So, yeah. So so that was uh, that's that's kind of how we really started to get closer, Marshall and I. And, you know, I'm sure we can talk more about it as, as this hour goes on. But, you know, I really always respected what what this guy was all about from obviously from the way he could play basketball, but then off the court, even more impressive with his approach to life, his dedication to education and coaching and and beyond. So um, so so when I heard that you were going to invite him on to the show as well, I was like, oh, this is like a no brainer. Because like, we, we rap a lot. I just, you know, Marshall comes to California occasionally to, to coach clinics and stuff. And it's always a blast to catch up with him. So thanks for organizing this. No, we're welcome. We thank you for coming. So, uh, Brian, in keeping stats, did you also decide to go into the analytics area for the league as well? <laughs> we weren't that advanced. Uh, you know, I think if we had continued to run the league, maybe that would have been. Um, we ran the league for a good 10 years or so. And. And then I had left, uh, unfortunately, the, the league in the Bay Area still exists, but uh, we had to kind of retire it out in on, on the East Coast. So if someone wanted to pick up the torch again, I'm sure we would uh, we would look at look at that, adding the analytics aspect. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have Brian Yang and Marshall Cho, two old friends uh, joining us on the double A team tonight on our show. Uh, Marshall, I want to touch on your coaching career. You, you said you began at the uh, DeMatha Catholic High School. Uh, for those of you who are not familiar with DeMatha Catholic, it is a, a powerhouse outside of Washington, D.C. And uh, if you Google DeMatha Catholic uh, and their list of alumni in the athletic area, especially basketball, it is just impressive. You have uh, Hall of Famer Adrian Dantley, Mike Bray, who went to Notre, who is coaching the Notre Dame uh, Fighting Irish, uh, Sidney Lowe, uh, for for the uh, newer uh, fans, uh, let's see, Dre Grant, uh, Victor Oladipo, who unfortunately lost yesterday in Game Seven. Game Seven, I'm sorry. I'm not too sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, because you're in the uh, you know I'm in Boston the area. Yeah. <laughs> well, Victor Oladipo, 
uh, as well as uh, Markel Fultz. Um, Chase Young, uh, who was a uh, Ohio State uh, football player who went number two overall in the uh, 2019 NFL draft with the uh, now Washington Commanders, just to name a few. Marshall, uh, what was it like to coach in a uh, high school that is as prestigious as, uh, you know, DeMatha? And uh, how did it shape you, you know, to where you are as a in terms of your coaching career right now? Yeah, um, you know, I get that. I get that question often. And then what's neat about just being in this space with other Asian Americans and just given, you know, the month that we're celebrating, I think something that Brian mentioned earlier um, really resonated with me when he was talking about starting a league because he saw the need for it. He didn't see the market for it or he didn't see, you know, something to be gained. He saw that there was a need for that community to be there. Um, so, you know, when I was playing in New York, it was it's it's kind of finding your sense of a belonging and identity, you know, and people that look like you who actually do play basketball. And and for me, again, having um, not followed the traditional path and not studied as hard as maybe I should have, you know, and gotten into the schools, maybe, you know, other, you know, second, you know, first generation, you know, Asian American immigrants, you know, across the board would want their child to pursue. Um, but what I found in that league was a sense of belonging, right? Um, it's the same thing when I started coaching, you know, my, my start even before the math though, was at in Mozambique in the middle of nowhere with, you know, predominantly Africans uh, in Mozambique. Uh, and in, in New York, it was in Harlem in central Harlem, a, you know, predominantly African American community, even though I'm, you know, again, a Korean American immigrant. Um, and so, you know, I, I found a sense of belonging in terms of like, okay, I belong to a part of the coaching community. Um, what the math allowed me was a sense of belonging at a higher level that, you know, that being around and, and rubbing shoulders with all the people, alum, famous alumni who would come in or just the players who, you know, were produced in that short career window that I was in. Um, by the time I left it, I realized that, okay, I, I have a foundation. I, you know, there isn't a court, like what Brian said, I, I had enough confidence in my game that whether it was a pickup ball that I would, you know, go and play in Harlem at the fame, you know, Rucker Park or anywhere else or, or, you know, when I was in the middle of nowhere in, in South Africa and I could hop onto a court and I could, you know, I could leave an impression, you know, and it's usually people being surprised, right, that an Asian American could play. Um, similar to, you know, I, I know we're going to touch on it with the Linsanity journey, but it's it's surprising. It's it's changing people's perception of you. Well, you know, Damatha was really the first time when I when I was around it every day. I saw that, you know, it's coaching. There's, it's just, you know, there's nothing complicated about it. You know, what, what the people there with the tradition that came many years before when Morgan Wooten, that set and then continued on with the coach that was there, Mike Jones, that I worked for, is that sense of confidence that we are the top, you know, program in the country. And to, so to live it, breathe it, and, and, and serve in it every day, you know, by the time I left, I said to myself, I can coach anywhere. You know, so it, it gave me that confidence to kind of project myself onto that next level in the Division One world. Um, and, you know, anytime I look back, you know, and I, and I step into a space like USA Basketball, I, I have a deep-rooted confidence that comes from knowing that I put in my time, you know, in one of the top programs in the country. One of the things I wanted to ask uh, both of you, obviously, the May being uh, Asian American uh, Heritage Month, um, Marshall from a, you know, somebody who played basketball and coaching now and Brian as a, an established actor living in New York right now, you know, 
what what has this pandemic and the uh, AAP, rise in the uh, AAPI racism uh, impacted you from a you know from a social aspect and um, you know Marshall you you know you obviously coach basketball which there's a lot of uh, you know African American players that you have probably dealt with many of them in the past um, did you sense any disconnect you know you know like uh, you know I don't want to say disrespect but like being coached by an Asian Americans, uh, you know, or maybe, you know, oppo opposing coaches, opposing fans, you know, you know, saying some racial stuff at you uh, while you were coaching? Um, I, I think I've been fortunate not to experience something, you know, blatant to my face. So, you, know, mm -hmm. you know, there's been many episodes of microaggression and some of it having to do with the fact that not not just the way I look, but I'm short. You know, I'm, I'm, I look younger than I am, you know, so I think those are things just, you know, you just learn to deal with and cope with, I guess. Um, and I'm not saying that if something happened where I felt like that line was crossed in terms of disrespecting my race or my background or whatnot, that I wouldn't speak up for myself. Um, but I think also a lot of it is just, you know, at least for the players that I had, it, you know, we talk about, you know, Asian, Asian American, African American solidarity, like for me, you know the, the the time that I spent in the South Bronx and 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 teaching in the in Harlem, what what it really taught me was the social injustices that a lot of my students had to go through, the systematic racism that exists in this country that that keeps people you know from being able to reach their full potential. So um, for me, coming into that space is always you know with with humility and with you know trying to understand where you know my players were coming from, and I think that that comes across i think just that background if anything from any competition that i might have is as somebody who lives in the black and white world um having grown up in springfield in a predominantly white state you know city in springfield oregon um so i i, I think I, it, what it's taught me is is it's taught me to navigate you know both spaces and and to take pride in who i am and that that you know a lot of my coaches would say hey like you know when i was at university of portland i said how am i going how am i going to be a recruiter, you know, and, and one of my mentor, you know, friends who was on the staff at University of Portland told me, it's okay to be different, but if you're going to be different, you have to be good. And so I think that's been my focus is to really, you know, work my craft so that there is, there aren't any holes in my game in terms of coaching that I can do it all. I can cut video. I can, you know, I can do all the operations aspects of running a program and I can be on the court and run it, you know, we're on a drill for the guards, the wings, the post. Um, it was really about not having any holes in my craft so that people couldn't keep me back from what I'm supposed to achieve. That makes sense. Yes. Brian, as an actor, um, you know, you living in New York also, you know, Marshall just mentioned about his experience teaching in the Bronx and uh, Brooklyn and those areas. Obviously, um, the representation matters, especially, you know, we've been voicing a lot in the uh, entertainment world, you know, um, even with the emergence of, um, you know, a lot of actors and, uh, you know, popularity of K-pop. But uh, from your perspective, it's just, it, this is just the tip of the iceberg and a lot needs to be done. And then maybe both, both of you can obviously draw from your experience, you know, Brian living in New York, Marshall having lived in New York, you know, there has been a lot of uh, Asian Americans who have been attacked and assaulted uh, a lot in New York, and you hear that story uh, a lot nowadays, ever since this uh, pandemic has happened. Do you see any disconnect with the, uh, you know, 
you know, between Asian Americans and, you know, African Americans and uh, even Hispanics, uh, Hispanic Americans. Um, it, where do you see this discord uh, coming from and what can be done to kind of, I don't know, elevate or, uh, you know, close that gap? Well, first of all, I have to uh, correct you. I'm actually no longer in New York. I live in LA, oh, but I, I did. I lived there for 12 years. Um, so, but I go back frequently. Uh, but you know, to to your point about the the seemingly, um, I mean, uh, undoubtedly rise in sort of Asian hate and attacks that have been particularly, you know, prominent in major metropolitan cities like New York, where a lot of my friends still live. Um, I think that. You know, yes, there's been a something like a three thousand percent rise in these in these acts of hate uh, in the last couple few years. You know, given the circumstances around the pandemic, the political rhetoric that's coming out of certain you know corners, um, and just the lack of understanding you know that that has been rooted in this country because of the the erasure or you know. Um, uh, invisibility of of our community, in particular, in in media, right? And and when I say media, I I use it's not just Hollywood or entertainment. It's it's the sports field. It's you know even even when it comes to uh, you know business, right? And people because because today, like business figures can be celebrities and and cultural icons as well. So if you're in the spotlight, you're covered by the media through business week or, you know, whatever, you know, Silicon Valley, you know, platforms that are out there, all of that adds up. And so I think that unfortunately, while these acts of hate have risen, I do think that a lot of it is, it's, it's very serious and severe. And, and I think there is a, there is a, um, a root cause that needs to be addressed. Um, I do think that you know, I'm, I'm an internal optimist, you know, maybe good or bad. I feel like there, the things that get the headlines are obviously the, the, the acts of hate and the, the disgusting, you know, bludgeoning of, of senior citizens and things like that. I think there are a lot more people that are actually interested in allyship and, and trying to build bridges than we realize. You know, I've been spending a good deal of the, the last couple of years uh, working on initiatives. Um, I did a lot of work with uh, a former presidential candidate by the name of Andrew Yang. Some yes. of you may have heard of him. Um, mm -hmm. I'm an old, another New York story where I, I met Andrew actually first, I actually moved there to go work for his company uh, in mm -hmm. the late 90s, uh, just oh. you know, to, to give some context. So I've known him a long, long time. When he decided to run for president, I he, he called all his friends and, and I volunteered to basically help him out. And, and I joined his campaign. And, and in 2020, we, you know, after he had uh, kind of stepped out of the race, we, we uh, started to uh, work on this issue, you know, in light of a lot of the attacks that were happening at that time. And we, 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 we ran fundraisers, we held um, discussions online, we had PSAs, uh, you know, things of that nature. And we, we reached out to community leaders and other communities. And, and a lot of people, like I said, are trying to understand the problem. And, and again, you know, things that are sort of second nature to us in terms of like Asian American history. Like we, you know, when I went to UC Berkeley, uh, you know, I, 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 that's where I really started to learn more about my own community through Asian American Studies 101, you know, through mm -hmm. Ronald Takaki's Strangers from a Different Shore, which is kind of like the, 
the, the Bible for Asian American, you know, um, history and studies and, and how we laid the tracks and the railroad and how we contributed to this country for the, you know, since the founding of it really. But a lot of that again was just never highlighted. So, so I think that, um, I think there's a, again, there's definitely, a, and this is, this is a very, you can hold a whole, whole other, you know, podcast about this problem of, um, you know, mental health and, and a lot of the, the, the challenges that we're facing collectively in this country and how polarized we've become as a nation politically, culturally in, in some, some areas. But, but I, I think that we're, you know, all we can do is continue to put our best foot forward and, show up, you know, every game that Marshall shows up to coach, every clinic he shows up to conduct, you know, every kid that he, that doesn't have the same background as him, that he shows up and, 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 and mentors that matters. And those are the step, stepping stones and building blocks that's going to continue to like bring our community, you know, up and sort of continue to, even though we feel like we know we deserve a seat at the table that that gap that is happening between us and a lot of people outside of the community is just because of the fact that the numbers haven't been there. We haven't been given the opportunity to be in the positions of, you know, athletic directors, coaches, executives in Hollywood or in the boardroom. And so all of these things are we're chipping away at finally. Or we've been, but I feel like there's been tremendous strides in the last number of years. And so, you know, we're Marshall and I are both fathers and and my hope is that, you know, when all is said and done, we've done our part and left our world, you know, a little bit better place than we found it. Right. So. So. Um, so, yeah. So that's that's kind of my my take on the current climate and, you know, where we're headed and what we're trying to do. Well, I'll mention, you know, full disclosure, when I lived in Dallas not too long ago, uh, I was actually involved in the uh, Andrew Yang's uh, campaign. You know, I was a, kind of somewhat of a volunteer, maybe oh, yeah. not as heavily involved, you know, not like a volunteer coordinator or any of that stuff. But I was involved and uh, I met Andrew himself uh, in Dallas, probably toward the, uh, you know, the end of his campaign when he eventually dropped out, like you said, Brian. Um, I did meet him. Uh, I had a copy of his book signed and uh, I was really hoping that, you know, he would go a little more further than the, uh, you know, the so-called traditional candidates. So, but obviously he's, you know, forming a new party and et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, as an Asian American, you know, it would be nice to see more people like him get the, uh, the attention and the respect that he deserves. And also in my last show, uh, we had Pranav Ayer, who is also, uh, you know, uh, Indian American uh, gentleman uh, who is the uh, uh, owner of Amazing HQ, which is a uh, sports website that highlights uh, Asian Americans, you know, uh, South, you know, South uh, East, you know, Americans like Indians and uh, among others. So, you know, I, I, if you, you're the one who actually introduced me to Pranav, and I want to thank you personally for <laughs> recommending him. And uh, we were able to, uh, you know, interview him and highlight his amazing work uh, in, in addition to working with the ESPN in Los Angeles as a, uh, you know, social media specialist. So, Brian, I want to thank you for... Uh, well, you know, you don't need to thank me. Pranav is, I've met him, I met him a number of years ago. He's a great, you know, I call him a kid. He's a great kid. And, and again, an example of, you know, uh, folks like Marshall and, and and others, you know, I guess I'm, I'm in that bunch, like us Gen Xers who have kind of like been at this for a long time you know pranav is is the next generation and he's really taken that torch 
and he's, you know, kicking that door open wider. Right. I was at his uh, all-star game last weekend here in LA. Uh, I just, I was blown away. I brought my, my, my four-year-old girl to it. They had a girl's game and a, and a boy's game. And it was just like the level of talent and just, you know, the, it's underappreciated how someone like him will provide a platform like that for, for people to discover each other or for, you know, the public to see through social media. And so it's just encouraging to see again at this time, like we're making tremendous strides through him and, and he is, he's actually a fellow. Uh, I think we, he went to the same high school as me, but many, many, many oh. years later. And I discovered it or he, we met because he interviewed me for something that he was working on about the Asian American basketball leagues that I talked about at the top. He did a whole like deep dive about the history of it, how it started, all the different communities that have their own, you know, tournaments and everything. And so, um, yeah, I, I love him. You know, I love Pranav and what he's doing and, and, uh, you know, eager to see what he's going to do going forward. We're speaking with Brian Yang, one of the uh, – an actor and also producer, and Marshall Cho, basketball, high school basketball coach in Lace Oswego out in Oregon. We thank them for joining us here on the AA team here on the Barroom Network. In the time we have left, Brian, let's talk about a project you're working on and uh, something that's close to, to my heart as uh, – Stephen introduced me to this project that you're working on about uh, Jeremy Lin and Lin Sanity. Um, let's talk a little bit about the impact he had on the NBA. Some, and it's hard to believe it's, it's almost like the last decade. It, it seemed like five years ago or three years ago when he made his impact on the NBA. And um, it really made an impact, especially in New York and all over, uh, especially in Taiwan and in China, where the NBA was really, really taking off. Let's talk a little bit about his impact and what you've been doing on, on this project. Well, yeah, the, I mean, the, the documentary we made was almost 10 years ago. Yeah. Uh, Linsanity, the phenomenon, as it were, broke out 10 years ago. We, so there's been a lot of uh, decade celebrations around it in the last couple months because uh, it technically it started in early February and kind of lasted into late March. So I've been involved with a couple of those those panels and, you know, different things that, that were happening uh, around the, the celebration. Uh, I mean, what can I say? I, I, it was again going back to the Dream Week. You know, Marshall and I, where where we got to know each other much better. That league, we because of my very amateur sort of uh, aspirations around being this like, there's weekend warrior on the court. I was weekend warrior on the uh, keyboard with my 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 so-called journalism. Uh, so I used the Dream League uh, platform as a almost like uh, you know a press platform where I was able to say, I I'm so-and-so from dream league. And I, we write articles and have, you know, columns about a related Asian American related basketball related uh, topics. And so when Jeremy was at Harvard, actually uh, as a senior, no, as a junior, I think, or senior, I can't remember now. I, I called the athletic office and I said, I, I'm, I'm Brian Yang from dream league. And I'm sure the person on the other end of the line was like, I don't know, what that is but no one ever calls harvard sports for interviews so uh yeah so they put me jeremy called me back within a day or two i remember and i i did an hour-long phone call interview with him transcribed it and stuck it on the dream league homepage. and when uh harvard was coming to play columbia i i wrote you know on the on the web page if anyone wants to come with the, a group of us to go watch jeremy lynn you know norcal boys basketball player of the year play uh columbia lions uh come out this saturday and i think about four people showed up 
and and maybe there were more that tried to get there because I don't know about you, Marshall. None of us had ever been to the Columbia basketball gym before trying to go see Harvard play Columbia. <laughs> so yeah. no one we're like, where is this gym? <laughs> like, <laughs> and you walk in and it's 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 basically a high school gym, right? It's like it's it's Ivy League basketball. I mean, some of the Ivy League gyms I gotta say, because I, I wound up going to see Jeremy play against Yale, Penn, um, Princeton, you know, but Columbia's was was definitely one that was lacking. Um, and so that's how I got to know him a little bit because because I at, through that interview and, and going to see him play in that game. And then uh, by the time he was a, when he started his senior year and he was on the long shot list of making the NBA, my, my partners, my filmmaking partners and I decided to pursue the documentary and we asked him if he was into it. And at first he was very like, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. Like he didn't really understand what a documentary was and the process and all that. And he's like, why would you want to follow me? Like, I, I don't even know if I'm going to, you know, like there's no sh sure thing that I'm going to make the NBA. Like, wouldn't that be a waste of your time? And, and we thought, well, leave that to us. Like if you don't make the NBA, it's fine. We're willing to take that risk. And so, um, you know, at worst, it'll just be some like home video, right. Footage that we, you can watch when you get grow old or what have you. And uh, so he kind of just kept punting when we were asked, we asked him throughout his Harvard senior year, we checked in a few times and it wasn't until he was with the golden state warriors in his rookie year. Uh, he, he came back to us and said, if you guys still want to do this, I'm much more open to it now. And I, and I believe it was, you know, the fact you become a pro, the game changes, right? He's like, well, I'm in the NBA now and my, my agents and, you know, I, I, this is my career. This is my profession. I have to like try to figure out how to sign endorsements and, 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 and I'm the brand now. And so maybe I guess a documentary around me is makes a little more sense. So, so uh, he let us have access and then that's how we, we officially got started because we had sort of started unofficially even before he became a warrior uh, we felt like there was some things to record when he was still at Harvard, which wound up making the the documentary bits and pieces of it because it was happening and we couldn't, you know, let those opportunities um, slide, you know. So, so yeah, so that was the um, that was when we got going, and this was 2011. And of course, looking back, like once February 2012 rolled around and everything started happening, we were we were as uh, how how do I put it? I mean. I, Jeremy was obviously had his own roller coaster ride and we had a kind of a front row seat to it. So we definitely had our insane moments ourselves <laughs> when people we had talked to about this idea were kind of laughing at us at first and then, then coming back to us and going, are you guys still shooting with Jeremy? Like, <laughs> and I'm talking about like major media companies, um, producers and, and executives in Hollywood that we were friends of ours who, had sort of a passing interest in his story because they were like, oh, that's kind of cool. But but then when things got real, they were they were suddenly, you know, everyone came circling back. And so so, yeah, so I, I always say I could probably write a book about the making of the movie. Uh, but at the end of the day, we were just fortunate to be along for the ride. And then, you know, we, we wrapped up the movie, took it to Sundance 2013 and, um, you know, had had a fair amount of success with it like like as you mentioned in china and taiwan and then you know obviously it was on netflix for a while it's on amazon today um and and uh yeah and we just celebrated the 10-year you know anniversary of it which was remarkable you you blink and here we are and so 
Um, so I, I always look back on the, obviously on that period and the experience that I got with, with a great deal of fondness, uh, just, just being right place, right time and, and seeing, watching this kid, you know, Jeremy, like write history in front of us. And, and, you know, I'm sure Marshall has his own story around it or like, you know, <laughs> in terms of, you know, how it's affected you and all that. But, um, I think it's safe to say all of us were watching that, that stretch, uh, you know, like as must-see TV, <laughs> right? <Absolutely. laughs> I know I was. Oh, I, I, we'll all remember where we were when he just went crazy on uh, when when he was at the Knicks and went crazy against the Lakers at, at Madison Square Garden, and the fans were chanting his name. I, I, I don't. I think we all remember where we were uh, when, when that game played a part. <laughs> uh, Marshall, talk, talk about Jeremy's impact on basketball and uh, in the decade since he's since he uh, rose on the scene. Yeah, I mean. Beyond, I think beyond just being something that's inspiring, you know, it, it, as a coach, I think about, you know, what, what's the next step? So what's the next decade look like? You know, what comes after the inspiration? You know, obviously he moved, for me personally, he moved the needle, you know, when I used to play, it, it used to be, you know, hey, I was called Bruce Lee, right, on the, on the basketball mm-hmm. floor. That was, he's the singular Asian American that everybody knew. And then it's Jackie Chen, who's not Asian American, but, you know, he's, He's a you know Asian, sure. and so the the progress goes from that to you know being called Yao Ming when Yao Ming is seven feet six and I'm five feet eight, you know, and so it, there's a part of you that's like, oh, that's progress. And then when Jeremy finally came, and again, what a lot of people, you know, the way Steph Curry has changed the game because he's so relatable. I mean, Jeremy beyond the moment that moment of inspiration, it was somebody who was actually a basketball player who actually grew up here, who spoke fluently you know, was overlooked and, and, and all of that. Um, I I think like Brian touched on earlier, I think our sense of urgency as parents, you know, now, you know, the work that we do is like, how do we, how do we speed this up so that it's more acceptable that, that, you know, in my circle, I knew a lot of NBA scouts, right? Um, and I would ask them as Jeremy was coming out, hey, what do you think about this kid from Harvard? And across the board, he was overlooked nice kid, you know, he'll, he'll make money overseas, but not, not a single scout that I had spoken to gave him a shot. Mm. So for him to kick that door open, it was that first step. Um, for me, just reflecting on my journey and having been a teacher and now a coach, essentially an educator, I, I think to myself, well, then that next journey, Lynn, that, you know, I think early, those early years, I think a lot of us are saying, well, this is going to propel to many more Jeremy Lynn's coming up. And we really haven't seen, you know, uh, that kind of player produced again. And I think my challenge is now that I've, you know, arrived at a certain point professionally, you know, what is, what what would the next few years look like if I really turned around and, and help to raise the level of coaching that's available to Asian Americans across the board that the the kids that are inspired by it, the parents like of our generation who now have 10 year olds, 11 year olds and 12 year olds who want to play, you know, what is the path? pathway because i think our second as you get into deeper generation obviously you you know i'm speaking to a room of you know Taiwanese americans and and you know even the jap you know uh brian touching on the j league that's multiple generations right that have passed well for me as a korean american we're really stepping into the second generation phase where a lot of us were given the freedom to pursue our passions and we want to turn around and do the same for our children so there's, I, I feel like there's a tremendous opportunity for the next generation of Asian Americans who are coming up. If they want to push, pursue basketball, then it's up 
unto us as a storyteller like Brian who could tell that story and keep that on the forefront. And then there's the technicians like myself who are coaches who gained all this knowledge. Okay, now how do I give it back to coaches and players so that we do have, you know, multiple, you know, Division One basketball players who may again have a chance to, you know, break it so that there isn't again just that singular figure and we have to settle for Jeremy. Um, that next time it's not, you know, next time an Asian American steps onto a court, they're being called by their name, not sure. by, you know, the stereotype of who we are. Exactly. And I think you talk about the Asian hate piece. You know, you can't hate, you can't commit a crime against Brian Yang or Marshall Cho if you know them personally. You know, I think a lot of that attack comes to us because we are invisible, because we are part of the monolith that people, you know, try to put us into, you know, the same pot. So um, I, I think that's where the challenge is and, and, and that's where the real hard work is, you know, about to begin. Absolutely. You know, we have an NBA draft coming up very soon next next month. And, uh, you know, the names like uh, Hyun Jun Lee from the uh, Davidson program, which is obviously the famous alumni is uh, Steph Curry. Mm -hmm. uh, he's in the league, he's in the uh, NBA draft uh, uh, workout right now. And uh, there's also a, a, a player by the name of Kai Soto, who's a Filipino American who I believe one time committed to Kentucky, but eventually went overseas and play. And now he's actually being mentioned as a, a legitimate second round, uh, you know, uh, pick in this upcoming draft. And, uh, you know, the, you know, we already have uh, Rui Hachimura, who's obviously of Japanese uh, national, uh, born uh, by a Senegalese uh, mother, I believe. And, uh, you know, this is going to be very interesting, you know, the, uh, Interest, uh, interest in the NBA in the Asian uh, countries has always been strong. I believe uh, Warriors and uh, Hachimura's uh, the Bullets, the Wizards. I forgot what they are called now, but uh, they're playing in Tokyo uh, later this year to open the season. And the uh, impact of uh, you know uh, and the infusion of AA players in the you know in the NBA cannot be uh, you know underestimated and. Uh, before we close out, I wanted to ask you guys the uh, the NBA Finals. We know the uh, the team, Celtics, Warriors. Um, who do you like? Uh, which team in what game? How do you how do you see this uh, playoff uh, playing out? Well, I already know what Brian's going to answer. I'm already going to say. <laughs> gonna be a homer for okay, Brian. Uh, Brian, are you taking the Warriors? But hey, Stephen, can I interrupt real quick just so that sure. we, we get this in? I think Hyunjung Lee is an interesting case. I just talked about this the infrastructure that's there to support players that are coming up. He's a product of the NBA Academy. Oh, that's uh, right. Yes. So before he came to play at Davidson, you know, he was a player, he was a player in, you know, in Korea, but he was selected to be part of the NBA Academy so that he received the kind of training that, that gave him an opportunity mm -hmm. to have success and have the foundation to succeed in the division one world, you know, and again, to kind of relive this Jeremy Lin, you know, um, narrative like a lot of the scouts that I talk to these days, they typecast him. Oh, he's a really good shooter. Well, what else can you do, right? Yeah. So we talk about the lack of progress. I, I think Hyunjung to Jeremy is is a great you know gap to study everything in between. Sure. But if you study the case for him, you see that he had received a structure to position himself to be mm. potentially drafted. So the question again comes back to, you know, what my, I guess my agenda of talking about training the next one, you know, so that hopefully uh, they're playing for the Warriors or the Celtics or, you know, my Blazers and we can talk about them next year. 
Absolutely. You're not going to find too many uh, Yao Mings uh, out there nowadays, unfortunately. But uh, hopefully, you know, even somebody, you know, you don't have to be like a seven footer, like I said about Yao Ming to make it to the league. You know, if Jeremy Lin can obviously make it to the league, even on a, you know, uh, short term basis, there's always going to be a role for somebody like Hyun Jin Lee who can definitely shoot lights out. And he's already proven that at Davidson. So hopefully he'll have his shot in the NBA. Okay, let's go back to the uh, the finals question to close out the uh, show. Uh, Brian, who are you picking? Oh, well, Marshall <laughs> says he thinks he knows uh, what who I'm going to say. I because I'm from the Bay Area, so the obvious answer would be uh, you know Steph and, and 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 the Splash Brothers and company. But I didn't grow up a, a Warrior fan, believe it or not. I, I, I do appreciate Run TMC and, and the history the Warriors have had and the run. Uh, but when I was a kid, I, I latched on to uh, the Sixers, the Philadelphia 76ers of all teams. I was a huge Dr. J to Charles Barkley to AI fan. So so I, I'm not a homer. I'm not, <laughs> not going to just say the Warriors because I'm from the Bay. Um, I didn't – yeah, I didn't – I never actually – love them and when when they won it was cool when they lost I, I i didn't take it personally or you know want to throw my television out of the you know off the balcony <laughs> or anything like a true sports fan so um that being said uh i did, obviously the warriors are the favorites here uh so i would have to go with the percentages i will say that I'm I'm a huge Jalen Brown fan because he, he even though I'm a Buckeye I do yeah he went to Cal he, I believe he is yes. the one Cal guy that I really appreciate I think he's both on and off the court he just seems like a, a great guy I mean he's you know if you guys know his his off court you know um, his his demeanor his interests and everything he's just a well rounded person and and um, you know Tatum's obviously the guy there but I think Brown is the X factor and so. I don't think it's going to be a sweep. I think it's going to be, you know, I I, I see a six game series. I, I'm even rooting for a seven game series because I always love, you know, I love a good seven game series. So I don't want the Warriors to to steamroll them. That's I just want to see a good series. And so sure. I am going with Golden State based on on the fact that I, I think that the experience and mm-hmm. the firepower are just a little too much. Um, but if Boston wins, I'm not like I said. I'm not gonna like. You won't hear complaining. me complaining. <laughs> so, <Yes. laughs> Marshall, uh, what about your uh, perspective as a coach? Yeah, well, I was just trying to distract people from the fact that I'm gonna make a biased vote, so I, I just <laughs> really tend to pin that pin that pick on Brian. But uh, um, the Boston Celtics actually have a very uh, strong contingent of uh, Portland, Oregon representation. So Ime Udoka, who's a head coach, played at Portland State, played at Jefferson mm-hmm. High School, which is a powerhouse program here. He's got a couple of assistant coaches. Damon Stoudemire, who played in the league, he went to Wilson High School locally here before going to Arizona. Mm-hmm. Aaron Miles, who played at Kansas, also played at Jefferson. And we have an alum, uh, Ben Sullivan, who was on the, the Milwaukee Bucks coaching staff. Uh, who has moved on. So he's he's from Lake Oswego High School, played here actually where I coach. Uh, so he's on the bench as well. And there's a few others. So um, we've been in our neck of the woods, we've been calling them the Portland Celtics because uh, our own team isn't, you know, we've been lottery bound this year. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping for an interesting series where the Celtics could take it, you know, steal, steal one away, similar to how the Raptors did it when no one, no one was expecting to do it. But mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a da- it's a daunting task up, up ahead of them for sure. 
Very true. And uh, you're you're speaking my language here, Marshall. So, uh, no, as I mentioned, I'm, I'm just going to hope for a very good series like Brian is. And if they can extend it to six or seven, I'll be very happy uh, at this point there. I know the odds are stacked against the Celtics, but, you know, we'll, we'll take what we can at this point. There's a reason why you play the game. Exactly. You know, if, exactly. if we learn anything from our conversation, don't don't count out the underdogs. Right. So. Absolutely. Well, Brian, Marshall, we thank you very much for joining our show. We thank you very much for talking about uh, representation because, as we always say, it does matter. And uh, thank you very much for taking the time for coming on the show and talking about talking basketball, which is one of my favorite sports, and talking about an era of insanity, which was a lot of fun. So thank you so much. We hope to have you again, guys. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, guys. Appreciate thank you. it. And the double A team on the Barroom Network will continue after this short break. Come on, man. I, I, we're going to Baltimore. The Wire is the best show of all time. And I've never seen such riveting TV where I actually felt like I was in East and West Baltimore every single episode. And um, it was just absolutely riveting and captivating from season one all the way to season, you know, to it finished up. And I'd put your detective up there. McConaughey and Woody Harrelson. I mean, come on. It was just so well shot, so well written, directed. Like, I, don't, I feel like it's underrated as far as that list goes. Really good. Preferred the method of having uh, altering. Uh... No, no, because uh, Mark Trussman did that and Matt Nagy did that, and arguably they're the worst two coaches in the history of the franchise. <laughs> You're forgetting John Fox. He squeezes in there, baby. <laughs> uh, did Fox do that too? I, I think so. Uh, that put the C on Fields and leave it there. Exactly. Joe, Vinny, and Gonzo join these White Sox fanatics every Monday night for the South Burbs Hitmen. You're going to be treated to great guests, top analysis, smart debates. South Burbs Hitmen with Sim, Joe, Vinny, and Gonzo only on the Barroom Network. And South Burbs Hitman is coming on next here on the Double A on the uh, after us here on the Double A team here on the Barroom Network. Uh, Stephen, another uh, great night of guests. We thank Marshall Cho and we also thank Brian Yang for coming on. Uh, very much appreciated talking about uh, why representation matters and why it's so important to have to show people that you know Asians can play basketball. Asians can coach basketball. Asians do love basketball, and it's just it just just it goes to show that, uh, as I said, representation matters. It really does, and uh, you know, uh, having Brian and uh, Marshall, who are both involved in the uh, you know the basketball uh, world as a coach and as a producer of you know Brian being the producer of Insanity, uh, really was an incredible uh, honor to have them, and 
offered their great insight uh, was a, tr a tremendous uh, opportunity for us to be re-educated and be, you know, uh, to be re-educated on the impacts of uh, Jeremy Land. And, uh, you know, hopefully we'll have a uh, Jeremy Land uh, in the future, uh, hmm. whether it's directly through him or maybe through Brian, but, uh, you know, um, whatever Jeremy is doing, he certainly has done so much to our community. And uh, we hope that uh, Jeremy will uh, continue to make impacts uh, for our community on and off as well. Absolutely. Before we uh, sign off, which will be in just a few minutes, uh, Stephen, we may have one more subject that we want to discuss. Yeah, uh, this is somewhat of a more of a Chicago, more local uh, aspect of it uh, that I uh, told uh, Aldo this afternoon. Uh, there's this uh, a goalkeeper uh, who plays for the Chicago Fire for the MLS. Uh, his name is Gabe Slonina who's actually a Polish-American. Uh, he is from Addison uh, in the Chicago suburbs. Um, he was actually heavily courted uh, by a Polish uh, soccer federation and national team. But recently, he has chosen to represent the United States. Uh, he's only 18 years old. Um, and, uh, you know, he's a very, very young and talented player, uh, the fire, unfortunately, has been somewhat struggling in recent weeks. Of course, it's not all on uh, uh, Gabriel Slolina. Uh, he goes by uh, Gaga as well, as in Lady Gaga. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, he is actually, uh, you know, one of the top prospects uh, that are being courted by, you know, Real Madrid, who won the Champions League uh, on Saturday. Chelsea, your favorite team, Ken. Yeah. And uh, there are several other teams uh, who are actually wanting to uh, bring him over this summer. You know, the uh, soccer in Europe is, uh, you know, obviously in the offseason stage where teams are, you know, starting to plan for a transfer uh, period right now. And, uh, you know, Gabe is only 18 years old, so he's not going to be, you know, manning Real Madrid's goalkeeping all of a sudden now. But, uh Come 2026, when the U.S., Mexico, and Canada are all hosting the World Cup, uh, you know, remember uh, Gabe Slolina. He could be the number one goalkeeper if he if he continues to develop, uh, as many European teams thinks highly of him. And you know, I can only imagine as an 18-year-old kid uh, having to choose which country he has to represent. You know, Poland, they're playing in the World Cup. They have an outstanding striker in Kevin Lewandowski, who is uh, uh, probably wanting to leave uh, Bayern Munich and uh, go to Barcelona and any other clubs that he wants to. Uh, but, uh, you know, there is a strong Polish uh, contingent, uh, you know, community in Chicago area. Uh, so, obviously, for him to choose to represent United States, it's a, it's a huge, huge, um, you know, decision. I can only imagine if somebody with, uh, you know, dual citizenship, whether it's Mexican and American or maybe other uh, Latin countries and the U.S., the, the pressure of having to represent or choose one country to represent is uh, daunting. But, uh, you know, as a, somebody from Chicago, you know, uh, hopefully this is somebody that uh, you guys can all remember, you know, uh, going forward. Absolutely. And uh, we look forward to seeing uh, Gaga down the line uh, playing, whether it uh, maybe uh, for the uh, whether it be for the United States and also Real Madrid and maybe Chelsea. We'll see that. We'll see. Yes, that sir. Soon. Uh, 
So uh, that's going to wrap up our show. We have, uh, once again, South Burbs Hitmen coming up next here on the Barroom Network. We thank our guests, Marshall Cho and Brian Yang, for coming on. Stephen, another great night of uh, guests, and uh, thank you very much for getting them for us. And uh, we uh, we will be back in, again in a couple of weeks in June. Yes. Hopefully it won't be too hot uh, mm-hmm. as, as the humidity uh, continues to pour on here where we are. But uh, sure. thank you once again. For Stephen Nagishi, I'm Ken Fang. This has been the uh, AA team on the Barroom Network, and we'll see you again in two weeks. Good night, everybody. We'll be right back.